You're listening to Everyday Evidence, presented by the American Occupational Therapy Association, helping the occupational therapy practitioner apply evidence to practice. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Okay, on today's episode of Everyday Evidence, I am joined by Dr. Craig Velozo and Dr. Broca Stern. Craig is the Division Director of Occupational Therapy in the College of Health Professions at the Medical University of South Carolina and was the 2020 Eleanor Clark Slagle Lecturer. Dr. Broca Stern is a postdoctoral fellow at Mount Sinai in New York City. Thank you both so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course, it's our pleasure. Today, we're going to be discussing um, PROMISE which stands for Patient Reported Outcomes Measurement Information System, um, which is a set of person-centered measures that evaluates and monitors physical, mental, and social health in adults and children. Um, Broca, you authored an article in the American Journal of Occupational Therapy about the potential of patient-reported outcome measures in OT, um, which we'll be referring to and is linked on AOTA.org and in the episode description if you're listening elsewhere. Um, but let's go ahead and jump right into it. What are patient-reported outcome measures? Sure, so I can start us off. So patient-reported outcome measures are self-report assessments that aim to capture directly from the patient their perspective of some element of their health status. Um, and that can be pretty broad. This can be related to things like symptoms. So that can be physical symptoms like pain or fatigue or even potentially symptoms related to mental health like depressive symptoms. This could be um, function, and this is, again, self-reported function, but this could be elements of self-reported physical function, social function, cognitive function, as well as broader aspects of health-related quality of life. So there are a very broad set of instruments and tools, and there are many different kinds of patient-reported outcome measures that have been published in the literature. And one specific example, which we'll be focusing on today, is the PROMISE system. And what specifically is the PROMISE system? How is it different than those other patient-reported outcome measures? Yeah, I can uh, speak to this. Um, uh, PROMISE uh, is, uh, was an, um, an, an investment by uh, National Institutes of Health, um, and it was, I believe, $80 million um, in initial investment. Um, but there are other offshoots are, uh, of of promise, uh, an uh, a bank of instruments called NeuroQual, which uh, um, represent patient report outcomes in the area of the neurological patients, and so uh, it probably was you know maybe over a hundred million dollar um, investment by NIH in terms of this uh, development of um, these patient reported outcomes. Uh, it began in, uh, I think, the first initial promise was supported by the uh, NIH called Common Fund, uh, and it began in um, 2004 and went through, the, that funding went through 2014, and then it was funded by an additional uh, sets of money that went from 2019, uh, went through 2019. It was called a, um, a trans-NIH cooperative agreement. And this, uh, while the uh, project was led by the National Cancer Institute, uh, funding from 12 other uh, NIH institutes and centers uh, contributed to the, the building of these measures. 
Awesome. Thank you, Craig, for giving us some of that background. So at NIH, it seems like really recognized the value of patient-reported outcome measures and made a huge investment into creating promise um, to, to provide that on a, on a national scale. Um, was there anything else you'd like to share about the development of promise and, and how it has really evolved um, since then? I think its initial, uh, you know, its initial development was uh, intended, I believe, is to provide uh, these patient-reported outcome um, measures for um, clinical trials and research. Uh, many, many studies uh, often use, uh, you know, patient-reported outcomes, but I think NIH wanted to get some a little bit more consistency uh, within the research community. And so I think this effort was to do that. And then to use these, uh, this, you know, what we call, what back then was called a modern approach. I don't know if it's modern anymore, but this using uh, item response theory um, analysis to uh, look at these uh, instruments. So that was the, the, the investment. And um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be part of um, <clears throat> one of the uh, projects. Um, these U2C agreements um, uh, these cooperative agreements uh, involve many PIs, many uh, principal investigators. Uh, the principal invest- investigator was David Sella from, um, uh, I believe it's Northwestern University. Um, but it's a, it's a big chunk of money that then goes out to uh, individual investigators who approach Promise with an idea to develop an instrument. You know, so each group comes in you know, saying, okay, I want to develop a, a patient report outcome for depression or um, a patient report outcome for physical uh, functioning. And uh, I was contacted by um, uh, Dr. Lisa Schulman at the University of Maryland uh, School of Medicine, who wanted to develop a um, measure of uh, self-efficacy of the management of chronic disease. And she was looking for a group. Um, uh, she was a, certainly the content expert, but was looking for somebody who knew how to do this type of um, analysis and contacted um, uh, me and my team at uh, University of Florida back then uh, to uh, do the um, item response theory analysis on this project. Matt, I could go through the uh, general steps of the development. Would that be helpful? Uh, I think so. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Great. So what typically happens is a first investigator proposes an area of measurement. And the example I'll be giving is the one that I was involved in um, uh, with this uh, principal investigator, Dr. Lisa Schulman from University of Maryland School of Medicine. She proposed developing a measure of self-efficacy for the management of chronic disease. So self-efficacy is a, a you know a very um, important area of measurement, but um, we weren't familiar with something in terms of people's uh, self-efficacy or their confidence in terms of managing their disease. So she wanted to focus in that area. So what usually starts, uh, of course, a proposal is put together and uh, you submit it uh, to NIH for, for funding as part of the Promise uh, group. So that, of course, um, you know, starts the whole thing. And then, um, then when you're funded, probably the first step uh, once you're funded, is you do a search, an extensive search of the literature for previous um, uh, patient-reported outcome instruments and their items and questions that are used in, you know, self-efficacy or in, in self-efficacy of chronic disease. So you see what's existing out there. That's usually your first step. Uh, second step is you 
gather these items and you, you run focus groups in this area, uh, uh, this area of interest, and you ask, in our case, uh, neurological patients their, um, their ideas and their areas of challenge in terms of you know, their confidence in terms of managing their disease. This initial step uh, that we talk about in working with focus groups and then you develop a first set of items, um, that's called um, item pool development. It's a, um, a group of items that, uh, a large group of items that you know, represent this overall area of measurement that you're interested in, in this case, um, uh, self-efficacy for chronic disease. So when we uh, gathered that information, we decided that there were we were going to separate um, this self-efficacy into uh, five uh, different uh, separate domains, and they were self-efficacy for managing daily activities, symptoms, medications, and treatments, emotions, and social interactions. So we had six. Uh, I'm sorry, we had five different domains, and we built items under each of those domains. We had about 35 items per domain. So that's your first, the first step. You build those items. You try to, try to write them the, the best that you can, and you've gotten input from those focus groups. Um, the next thing that you do is once you have your items, you want to make sure that they're being interpreted correctly so that uh, the typical respondents to those questions, people with the disease, that they understand the question clearly. So you run analysis called uh, cognitive interviewing. And this is where you bring the items uh, to individuals who have the disorder and you ask them for their input in terms of clarifying the wording. You know, is the rating scale clear? And when I ask a question this way, when I ask you about your, um, your, your confidence in, in managing your medication, am I wording it right? Do you understand what I mean by medication? Should I word it differently? So you go back to um, the individuals uh, to find out that, or is the wording you know, understandable and really presenting what they want presented. Once that stage happens, you now have your, I guess you would say your final item pool, then you collect data on, on, that, on those items. And so we collected data on approximately 1,000 patients with neurological conditions. We actually did it in two ways. There are these, uh, one way is, was actually direct data collection. Actually in the neurological clinics at, at the Maryland School of Medicine, uh, patients were given the survey, um, the, given these questions on a, in a paper and pencil format. But there are also these, um, I think they believe they call them computer panels that um, you can hire out, that people, companies that will send your survey out to um, any uh, particular subgroups of individuals that you would like to answer your questions. So we did about 250 subjects uh, with uh, participants with direct data collection. And then I think the rest of it, which is about seven or 800 um, uh, subjects, uh, uh, participants were in these computer panels. And so you collect all of that data, then you go through the analysis phase. We do the first sets of analysis we do are called factor analysis. Um, that's looking to see if uh, the items are working together, you know, within each of our domains. And then we do this um, uh, an analysis called item response theory statistical analysis, and which looks at the details. It's statistics at what we call the item level looking at the, um, the statistical level of performance, the psychometrics of the 
not the test as a whole, but at, of the individual items and if they are if they are working together in terms of forming a, a good measurement instrument. Once that analysis is done, you now have it go the, it goes from defined as an item uh, pool to an item bank. So the item pool is the items under development and developed before the analysis. After the analysis, you now call it an item bank. And so that item bank now is hopefully statistically sound. You've sort of demonstrated that it's doing, you know, what you expect it to do in terms of measurement. And so the final step is then we work with a promise, the promise uh, statisticians to develop uh, computer adaptive tests uh, for us. So this is where they take those um, item banks and they uh, put them into a computer program and a, and a presentation method that allows questions to be directed at individuals that match the individual. And actually, you can eventually, using a computer adaptive test, you can measure like one of our domains with as few as four questions. So even though we have 35 questions, it only takes about four questions to, for a person to answer that you can actually get a you know measure of um, one of our domains. So that's the whole package. I'm sorry it was, took so long, um, but it, that was actually a, I believe, a four to five year project, actually. So that is amazing. Thank you for sharing all the all the steps that go into um, developing a measure for for promise. Um, and and promise is a collection of hundreds of, of instruments measuring many aspects of health. Um, you gave the example of self-efficacy, which I think is is so pertinent and amazing for um, the field of occupational therapy. But each of these instruments go through this same development process by people who are, are much smarter than I am. So um, that's very reassuring to hear in, in knowing that these instruments can be can be trusted um, to be used in practice. And I'm glad you touched on item response theory too. I was, I was hoping we could uh, hear a little little bit about item response theory from Craig today. We'll get back to our interview right after this quick word. We try to make research more applicable and more consumable for our listeners. And completing the survey that we mention on each episode helps us to do just that. AOTA members are now eligible to receive one contact hour for listening to an episode of our show and completing the survey. The survey is still only three questions long and can be found by following the link in this episode's description. Get yourself a contact hour and help us to improve the show, improve the resources AOTA provides to its clinicians, and improve the application of evidence to practice in our field. Now back to the interview. What what information can really be gained by utilizing um, these promise measures? I can jump in here. So, um, I mean, it's really thinking about what aspects of, again, health-related quality of life we're trying to actually assess as an occupational therapy practitioner. It could be information, again, about self-reported physical functioning, it could be information about self-reported social functioning, um, more mental health types of symptoms, like, again, symptoms of depression or anxiety. So, um, like, Matt, you mentioned the really broad um, scope of the promise measures. So what we can obtain is really anything that there is a promise measure on. And again, looking through it, there's a ton of info on, um, you know, also pediatric measures as well. It's not just adult measures. Um, so there's really a really, it can be a little overwhelming to identify what it is you actually want to assess. Um, but you can get a lot of really great information about a patient's current status, as well as starting to think about measuring pre-post in terms of change as well. 
that's uh wonderful it sounds just so so applicable um i know craig you mentioned this that historically uh patient reported outcome measures were developed and used more for research with uh all this information that can be gained through promise how does promise measure real world participation and occupational performance yeah, I think as uh, you know, as, as both you alluded to, and as Broca has, uh, that you know, there, there's uh, 300 to 400 you know instruments um, that are that are available. So if you think about it, um, if, as as a clinician and you're interested in a particular area, it's it's likely that there's a measure out there that would be useful uh, to you. Uh, you know, not only um, are these instruments in the uh, uh, are there sets of instruments for um, you know adults. But there's also um, um, uh, a, a probably an equal number of uh, instruments in pediatrics um, that are part of Promise. Uh, access to uh, almost anything uh, that you'd want. Uh, one of the things I really like about, about the Promise measures is obviously you can go online. Um, these instruments are are um, they're, they're um, PDF version. Their paper and pencil versions are free. Um, you know, it's developed by the government. It's completely free. You have complete access to them through um, uh, healthmeasures.net. What's really nice about it that when you do uh, search for an instrument under an area that you want, you can actually go and actually see the instrument, see exactly what items are in the instrument. And, and so there'll be very short forms for like example, you know, in the area, for example, of physical functioning, right? So there are there are probably, you know, a, you know, a whole subset of different short forms for physical functioning, and you can pick out the short form that you would like. And I, what I really like that is because sometimes it's like, well, you know, I really don't care for the, you know, you you pick up an assessment and you go, well, I like most of these questions, but I really don't care for, you know, a number of them. But here you you can pick out the short form that fits you the best and fits your clients the best. Um, you know, and actually see the exact items that you want, and then you can download them, and then you can start, um, you know, start using them in practice. So while the original um, purpose was uh, for them to be used in research and clinical trials, they're now um, all accessible for clinicians to use in, in practice. Yeah, that that is so wonderful, it, especially from my perspective as a pediatric practitioner. It uh, definitely in, encourages me and motivates me to want to uh, check out healthmeasures.net. Um, do either of you have tips for, for how a practitioner could know which questionnaire to use and, and how much a clinician would need to know about each of these questionnaires in order to make an informed decision um, in, in selecting the correct measure for um, their specific client? Um, I can start off and speak to that. So I think one one thing, again, is that if you go to healthmeasures.net and, and do this search and view measures, it's really clear in terms of how you can filter through measures to really figure out what domains are available. So even if you're not sure what it is you want to assess, you can start to just look at what you know domains are there um, and then figure out from there like pull out some of the short forms like Craig mentioned and actually start to look at the actual questions. I think one thing that's also really nice about Promise is that the vast majority of the measures are not like condition or disease specific. And I don't think that's something that we've mentioned yet so far. 
most of them really are um, universally relevant um, in terms of like your psychometric properties as well as in terms of the items. There are some which are specifically um, say that there's like a version that was specifically designed for cancer or there might be um, again some the some that actually have some population specific intended use. But the vast majority, because they are not condition or disease specific, really allow us the flexibility of pretty much just selecting a domain or a concept that we're interested in. And then again, just looking through the various either short forms or if you are using a computer adaptive test within your electronic health record, just seeing what's available in terms of like what your um, health system has actually implemented. So I think really the question is just what do you actually want to assess? And then seeing, you know, what measure best taps onto that. I think as a practitioner or a clinician, I don't think, I think we can actually pretty much um, rely on the fact that these measures have, you know, been well validated, that there's been a lot of thought and intention put into these measures. And we don't have to fully understand all of the background pieces you know, before actually using one of the assessments. Of course, the more we understand, the more we can be intentional about which assessments we select. But I think um, there's sort of a leeway here in terms of just identifying the constructs um, and then just picking the measures that best, you know, assess what it is that you want to capture. But uh, Craig, I'm curious if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, actually using the site, you know, can be intimidating because uh, if you realize there's, you know, like 300 or 400 measures, but, you know, the approach that I take, uh, which I think is consistent with what Broker is suggesting is I, I go to um, healthymeasures.net um, and I actually go to the sub uh, um, page, which is slash search dash view dash measures. And so if you go right to that page, that particular page, then there's these drop-down menus to select um, instruments. Now, there's lots of selection boxes that you can use, but you, you have in your mind of, of something that you want to uh, measure. I just go down, go to the box that's uh, listed as domain. And if you click on there, there's a drop-down menu. And under that, there's probably listed, oh, I would say, you know, 20 or 30 domains. And, um, you know, from pain to physical function to depression to self-efficacy. So you can just look across that and, you can, and see, hopefully pick out the one that you want to, um, to look at. And if you just search under that, then it will give you all of the questionnaires that are associated with that particular, you know, area. For example, if you chose, you know, depression or, you put, uh, or pain interference. But then if you wanted to reduce it, and you know, usually you'd like to re reduce it to, you know, based on versus adult versus pediatric, you can go to the age box. And as, um, um, as Brokas uh, 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 suggests that you can filter things down and you can filter it to pediatrics or adults. So you don't have to get all of the, if you're, you're searching for pediatrics, you can avoid all of the, uh, you know, the adult instruments. And then once you, you see the instruments and you see different versions of the instrument, and they'll be listed as short forms. When it says item bank, if you see a list that says item bank, that means all of the items under, under, the, um, uh, under that domain. And so that could be a lot of items, so 80 items. Um, but if you choose one of those short forms, you'll get a, a short form, usually about you know, probably roughly about 10 or 12, you know, 12 items. So I usually click on, you click on one of the versions of the short forms, 
And then when the next page that opens up, there'll be a, a, um, a highlighted uh, text that'll say, view instrument. And when you click on that, you then it downloads the PDF of that instrument. And you can now look at all of the items uh, of that short form. And then you can go through the different short forms and pick out the one that, you know, is most, as I said earlier, that's most appropriate for your, your clients. So all of this, amazingly, is free. <laughs> Matt, when, you know, being a, a you know, pediatric uh, therapist where, um, you know, you have to pay for instruments all the time or page, pay per page of instrument. Um, you know, it's really refreshing that, you know, all of these instruments uh, in their paper and pencil form are for free. Yeah, that's that's wonderful um, to hear. The more I'm, I'm learning about Promise, the more um, I, I come to like it. Um, and, and it really sounds like it's, it's doing a, a wonderful job at making resources and measurement more accessible to practitioners. Um, which which kind of segues into into my next question. Uh, where exactly in the healthcare continuum can can promise be utilized? Yeah, so I would just add one uh, quick thing. Um, taking uh, one step back is just to the uh, as far as the availability of the measures. I also want to clarify that the Spanish language versions of the short form are also available for free, and I think that's something that can be very helpful for practitioners to be aware of particularly when we're working with people with limited English language proficiencies, which is just another pearl in terms of availability. But as far as the healthcare continuum, I think it's pretty much throughout. Um, I mean, definitely, you know, in the outpatient community, um, no question. I think there's a lot more, uh, there's a growing interest in using patient-reported outcome measures in general, and that would include either promise or sort of that um, subset or that sort of uh, offshoot, like Craig had mentioned earlier, neuroqual. Um, in inpatient rehabilitation facilities, I think um, there's also, I just saw an interesting conversation on Twitter actually about using patient reported outcome measures in the ICU. Uh, they weren't specifically talking about promise, but I think there's a lot of interest in really using these types of measures across the healthcare continuum. And at some cases, it might then be a proxy report versus the actual patient self-report. And um, some promise measures or neuroqual measures have been validated in that way as well. Um, and for peds as well, there are also um, parent proxy report measures available. So I, for me, I think the possibilities are endless and it's really, you know, what are we trying to capture and what types of information are helpful in various um, healthcare settings. But I think it's really across the continuum. Each of you has an example of how uh, promise has, has been used by um, OT practitioners or um, or students or just in a, a medical setting. Um, can, can you share how Promise uh, is being used in, in those examples? It's, a, it's a, a kind of interesting because we've at times looked for, uh, like I have uh, students that are doing capstone projects in, within uh, burn units. So um, we've actually looked for instruments in the area of burns and, and you know, uh, patient-reported outcomes and often we can't find, you know, what we really want. So I've, uh, you know, directed uh, these students to, you know, the promise measures and say, why not try some of these measures, you know, within this specific population? So we've, I've got one student who's been um, uh, using them a, a pediatric uh, burn unit. I have somebody, uh, uh, you know, trying those out there. I also have a, a student, a, um, a post-professional student that I'm working with right now 
that has uh, developed uh, is using a subset of promising instruments in home health. She, she actually has been using them before I met her. Uh, she was using, um, uh, uh, using them in her own practice. And now we're running a little bit of a, a training session where we're trying to teach um, home health uh, therapists about promise measures and giving them a, you know, a very convenient short um, a, a subset of short forms that can be um, you know, um, quickly done. Absolutely. Thank you for those examples, Craig. I like uh, the emphasis on dissemination as well and, and kind of sharing with practitioners um, what, what short forms and what items they, they can use. Um, Broca, uh, what about you and your example of uh, Promise being used? Uh, we've been using Promise, um, or I should say I'm aware of Promise being used in a previous clinical employer, which is a, a national outpatient rehabilitation chain. And we we use a lot of uh, patient-reported outcome measures um, in our practice, and we use a lot of what are sometimes called legacy measures. These are the quote-unquote older measures pre-promise, which are more disease-specific or condition-specific. So we do use a lot of those, but we have been slowly um, implementing some other promise measures, including in particular Promise Global, which is a measure that provides more of a global measure of physical health and mental health. I do think it is important um, to appreciate, though, that like that specific measure, sometimes people are using more for individual clinical decision making, but that measure um, has been um, suggested as perhaps more useful at a group level or a population level. Um, and within a, a large employer and a large outpatient rehabilitation chain, they were also using some of this data to look at patterns or trends across therapists and across um, patients our clients with similar conditions. Um, so Promise Global is really being used a little bit more in a quality way, perhaps, versus a purely clinical way in terms of, again, seeing how to set goals for an individual client. But I do know some individual um, clinicians who are using the Promise Global 10 to also help with things like goal setting based on uh, you know challenges that they observe in terms of um, patients' completion of certain items. And then we also do have access to some of the other promise measures, um, including some mental health and physical health measures that clinicians have the option to select um, and use in their practice in order, again, to guide um, clinical decision making. But I just want to mention one other thing, um, which is this idea of, of training. I think one thing that's important for um, clinicians to be aware of is the scoring of promise, which is perhaps not so intuitive for every individual. And that's one thing that when we train clinicians to use these, we have to understand, um, you know, the scoring. And Matt, you asked earlier about, you know, what do clinicians need to know? I think, again, we don't have to know that much about the measure development per se, although, again, the more information we have is, is definitely helpful and valuable in terms of measure selection. But we absolutely have to figure out how to interpret scores. And promise um, measures are on a there are T-scores where a mean is so that the 50 is like the mean in a reference population with a standard deviation of 10, whereas I think a lot of our traditional measures do run from more of a 0 to 100 type scale. And we're used to thinking of, you know, 0 is either complete disability or complete ability, or 100 is complete ability or complete disability, depending on just which way that measure, um, that scale goes. But with promise, again, uh, 50 is, is like the mean and what we call that reference population or the population which this measure was validated in. 
So depending on um, the individual you're working with, what their level of uh, premorbid function is, their um, age, their comorbidities, et cetera, we often aren't trying to target per se like 100, and most of these scores actually won't even range beyond 20 to 80. Um, we are often thinking about trying to get people up into that 50 range or a little bit above or a little bit below, again, depending on um, some of their health complexities, et cetera. So again, that's just one thing that came to mind, just thinking about the training piece, is I think that is something that we definitely had to consider when we were starting to use some of these measures in our own practice. Absolutely. Um, and, and thank you for, for describing how the, uh, the, those T-scores work and, and can be interpreted uh, when being used in practice. Um, how would you say that patient-reported outcome measures relate to and facilitate value-based healthcare? You know, there's there's a lot of focus right now on really trying to move beyond just like a volume of services. So more traditionally, we've been in like fee-for-service models where we are rewarded for the more care we deliver to an individual. Um, and the shift towards value-based healthcare is really instead focusing on trying to maximize outcomes relative to costs. So there's a much, much larger focus on outcomes and patient-reported outcome measures can be a key part of those outcomes. And one of the um, commonly talked about like definitions or models of value, and there's there's many, there's no super clear consensus on what that term actually implies. But one of the uh, common uh, definitions comes from a book by Michael Porter and Elizabeth Heisberg called Redefining Healthcare. And they really focus on this idea of trying to maximize the health outcomes that matter to patients relative to like the cost and utilization per cycle of care. And this idea of outcomes that matter to patient is really where there is this really broad shift towards patient-reported outcome measures. Because, you know, up until now, very often when we think about things like quality and value, we're, we're really measuring like process measures. So even in terms of like surgical procedures, just giving that as an example, we often measure things like infection rates. But like, it should be sort of expected that a patient enters a hospital to have a surgery and it should be expected that they don't get an infection, right? Like, why are we really priding ourselves on per se low infection rates? Like that should sort of be a given that we're all striving for. And we should be striving beyond that to things that matter to patients, right? Like why are they having a procedure, particularly if it's more of a, um, a procedure that's supposed to affect something like symptoms or function, like for example, an orthopedic procedure, I mean, similarly for rehabilitation as well, right? Like often we're still measuring like process measures, which might be, um, you know, the percentage of people who receive like a fall risk screening. But shouldn't we be instead measuring from like a value or quality perspective, like how many people actually get better in terms of their physical function or their social participation or whatever it is. So there's like a broader shift in general towards what we call patient-reported outcome performance measures or pro-PMs which is this idea of trying to look at, again, like the percentage of individuals who do better on a certain like patient-reported outcome metric. So again, this is a group level indicator that shows that we've effected some level of meaningful change, again, at the group level. Um, and the idea is that we could ultimately compare different like facilities or institutions based on these um, scores. There's still a lot of work that has to be done in this space. Um, so a lot of this is still very much in early um, development stages. 
here's some challenges in terms of taking measures that were really intended to be used in clinical trials. Now we're being used in clinical practice for, for various purposes and now trying to translate them into these type of like what we call performance metrics. Um, so I think there is on the horizon and I think there's some interest in tying those metrics to things like value-based payment models as well. So in terms of like help reward, rewarding like facilities or providers or clinicians for again, these types of meaningful patient-centered outcomes. So I think it's it's on the horizon, um, but we're not fully there yet. But I think Promise specifically has a lot of potential in that regard, just because of the rigor of the measure development, but also again, because they are more universally relevant. They're not condition specific or disease specific, um, which sort of limits like aggregation across larger groups of individuals. Thank you so much for um, that explanation. Um, and I'm really thinking here that uh, client-centered care um, and, and occupational performance are, are pillars in, in occupational therapy practice. And um, it, it's really encouraging to hear how promise measures um, kind of can help uh, to provide, you know, data and, and measurement in, in whether care is being client-centered or not. And so it, it does sound really valuable. Uh, thank you so much for that. As, as you can tell, you put it much more eloquently than I can. The collection of, of this patient-reported uh, data, including patient-reported outcome measures, is a high priority for CMS, the Centers for Medicare, Medicare and Medicaid Services. I always mix those two up. Um, how can occupational therapy ensure that we're a part of collecting and utilizing this information? I think the biggest um, piece here is making sure that we have a seat at the table because, um, again... CMS is very interested in, in, in incorporating patient-reported outcomes into what they're calling like meaningful measures. And this is meaningful um, quality metrics, meaningful patient-centered or consumer-centered or caregiver-centered, um, again, these quality metrics. And the problem is, is that if we don't have a voice at the table, these metrics are not going to reflect our unique contributions. Right now, like a lot of the... Um, the, sort of the candidates for, for these quality indicators focus on things like, for example, physical functioning or self-reported physical functioning. That's very important, and that's very important for a lot of our clients, but that really is not necessarily what occupational therapy practitioners provide in terms of unique value. Again, that's something that we help facilitate, but are there other metrics that we can um, you know, try to push forward, which really focus more on those things like participation and occupational performance? that can become quality indicators or part of sort of these core sets or core measurement sets. So again, the key thing is really sort of advocacy um, and just making sure we are part of those conversations in terms of ensuring that the domains and the measures that are selected, even within Promise um, for these types of indicators, again, reflect our value. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, Craig, was there anything you wanted to add? I, I do want to add a, a separate thing that in regards to access to these, I, we did say that they're they're free of charge uh, on the web, but if you want more, there's actually um, other um, versions of these instruments, electronic versions, and um, to be able to run these promise measures off of um, um, off of an iPad. Uh, if you do that, that that uh, there's an annual cost of uh, four hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents to um, to access them, um, 
the uh, instruments through an iPad. For universities uh, that use um, the um, data collection system called REDCap, actually on REDCap, uh, these instruments are all available. Uh, REDCap's a data collection survey system that's used by, uh, often used by researchers. And um, what was an interesting find is that um, usually you, you often put your own um, questions and, and instrument questions and you type them out, you know, within REDCap and then you can, can have, um, you know, participants in your study, you know, fill out your questionnaires. But what was surprising is that um, all of the, um, I think virtually all of the promise measures um, are contained within um, REDCap. And so you can just uh, actually um, click on the available measures. And not only are they, uh, the measures available as a survey, but they're also um, available in a computer adapted version um, on REDCap, which basically means, again, that uh, questions get directed to your client, um, you know, based on you know, their previous answers, so they can, you know, finish the questionnaire in probably about, you know, four or five questions. Wonderful. It sounds like there's so many applications um, of Promise, and the availability of measures um, is is there. Uh, you, you mentioned there's that fee, a uh, yearly fee to to use the iPod iPad application. Um, is is there any other increased cost to incorporate Promise measures into practice? Well, I mean, I think the 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 one of the bigger issues um, is to um, uh, is for the you know to to make these instruments um, available uh, uh, to your um, electronic medical record. And um, uh, Promise um, has that capability of, of doing that also, but that certainly means, you know, other, other costs um, to, to make that available. For example, if you're using a system like Epic or something of that to get Promise measures into that, I'm sure that the Promise can work with you and has the capability and apps to allow that to happen, but there's, um, there's certainly probably, you know, more extended costs to, to try to make that happen. Yeah, and I can just add quickly to that. So actually, Epic in particular has really great integration with Promise measures. Um, of course, there are costs associated with that. I do think one thing we haven't really talked about yet is scoring of measures. And if you are using the short forms, um, there are scoring tables, which you can use, um, but you're not fully capitalizing on some of the benefits of the item response theory development if you do use the scoring tables, particularly if you start to run into individuals who have missing items that they've skipped questions. There is a free um, scoring service online that you can find information about if you go to the healthmeasures.net website. Uh, but that can be a little, um, it's very easy to use, but it can be a little unwieldy or clunky if you have to keep uploading your individual um, patients, you know, de-identified item level scores to get a T-score for that measure. Um, what the things like the EHR integrations allow, as well as the iPad app, if um, facilities do have the resources, really allow for more ease with that real-time scoring. Um, it's really capitalized on the full, again, item response theory and, and all of the complexities that have gone into measure development. So there are definitely strong advantages if you do have some sort of like integration or electronic application. But again, and but that does come with costs. Um, and you could totally do this with pen and paper forms and then either just use the um, scoring tables, which you can download from the Health Measures on that website, 
or you can actually use this free online scoring service. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's it's nice to know that there's options for scoring um, in in with these measures, especially with a, a free scoring service. That sounds very attractive to a clinician, although it might be an, an extra step. Or what what steps would would you both say that a, a clinician could take to begin to integrate uh, patient reported outcome measures more into their routine care? Yeah, well, I think um, actually this is one of the methods is to, for us to uh, you know inform OTs and all rehab professionals of the availability of these instruments. I think people don't realize that they're you know that they're you know that readily available. I always say when when somebody's going to charge you for an instrument, you might want to spend a little bit of time looking to see if there's a you know a similar instrument that is a is you know is a free version um, that's that's available and you know these these instruments um, you know any any individual study that went into building one of these instruments was a like I said a four year five year study and and that the cost of just building one set of these instruments is like one point five million dollars I mean these are these were gigantic instruments and gigantic investments, and and they're done. You know, I I was uh, very fortunate um, as I uh, I worked on one of the teams, and I wasn't the principal investigator, but the principal investigator was did not it, did, was not familiar with item response theory, so she asked me to go with her to attend all of the steering meetings, um, which basically means Promise would meet. I think it was uh, twice a year. All of the investigators um, would go to um, uh, to NIH, and we'd have it when we'd meet and, and talk over, um, you know, talk over the instruments, and and um, we'd had subgroups that would work on the instruments. They're the best people in the country, if not the world, that were were building those instruments. Um, I know the I know the statisticians, um, you know, fairly well, and they're 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 the top in the country. You know, a lot of these funded projects were funded. Um, to um, to physician researchers um, who wanted to build a measure a measure of physical function. For example, there's a number of uh, instruments that are um, HIV. Um, there's uh, there's a subset of instruments I believe for sickle cell anemia. And so you know there are these uh, you know um, researchers who were the content experts, but they always worked alongside a, a you know a statistical team uh, um, uh, that would. Um, you know, develop the instruments. So you had both content experts and you have high-level statisticians, you know, building these instruments. So um, they're, they're, they're really top-notch, um, you know, instrument development uh, efforts went into this. Thank you, Craig. Just learning about the background that, that goes into Promise and, and all the effort that went into validating these instruments uh, definitely does encourage practitioners to, to trust them and, and learn more about them and, and begin to implement them. Um, Roka, do you have anything you'd like to add about steps a clinician could take to, to integrate um, patient-reported outcome measures into routine care? Sure. So just like really quickly, I think there's a couple like key steps to think about. One is really, again, that measure selection, right? Figuring out what is it that you want to measure and thinking like very carefully, what are things that either really matter to your clients and starting that way and then looking for measures or thinking about what are things that you feel like you want to measure, but you've not been adequately able to measure up until this point. And then seeing if there's a, a prom 
or a, a promise measure more specifically, which, you know, sort of fills that gap. You want to then think about once you've selected your measures, you want to think about like how often do you want to measure? So ideally you're usually measuring at baseline, but then thinking about depending on the setting that you're in, the nature of the, the condition, um, different types of patient level factors, you want to figure out like how frequently do you want to reassess that? You want to also think about um, how you want to actually capture that data. So making decisions about things like pen and pencil or pen and paper forms or um, are you using some sort of electronic health record integration or something like the iPad app? So just being really clear about how you're collecting the data and even thinking about, you know, do you want the client to fill out the measure before you see the client, like in the waiting room, um, like based on maybe if it's their evaluation based on their diagnosis, or is there a core set of measures that you give every client who comes into your clinic, If particularly if you're seeing clients with similar types of, let's say, neurological conditions, um, and then once you've, again, figured out how you're actually capturing the data and when they're actually completing it again before they see you, maybe during the evaluation or during your treatment session, I think it's also really important to think intentionally about how are you going to use that data, right? I think one of the challenges is that we often ask people to fill out these questionnaires or these surveys or these prompts. We don't actually often use that data and it becomes more just like an administrative burden that's being asked of us to do or it just becomes a task for the client to fill it out, kind of like a, a patient experience survey that they fill it at the end, but not like something that actually becomes a meaningful part of clinical care. And thinking about, are you, know, are you going to use it for things like goal setting with a client based on how they responded to individual items? Are you using it for things like, you know, decision making as far as based on maybe more, let's say you're doing some um, physical functioning measures, participation measures, but you're also doing some like mental health type measures, right? Like will different types of scores on those mental health measures impact what type of care you deliver to this client, whether it's more biopsychosocially informed or whether it's more dysfunction-based, et cetera. So really thinking intentionally again about like, how are you going to use this data in your clinical practice, as well as thinking about, are you going to share the data with a client in any way? Right? Like, is it something that they're doing it on some sort of patient portal? Again, if you are using more high tech solutions where the patient can act or the client can actually engage with their own data, is it something that's really just clinician facing, but maybe you have a conversation with the client about, et cetera? So I think, you know, some of these questions um, perhaps seem a little intimidating to think about when you're just starting off. And it's okay to just start off by just grabbing, you know, going to healthmeasures.net printing out, you know, one of those short forms that you're interested in and just using it with some clients and seeing how it goes. Like, that's totally fine to start. But if you've already done that and you're thinking about sort of how to take this to the higher, the next level, is really thinking of through some of these questions more intentionally to really make these part of meaningful clinical care. And again, not just something that's sort of a checkbox that we did. Oh, we administered a prom. Wonderful. Right. But how are we actually going to use that prom in our clinical care? Absolutely. Thank you for those tips. Um, I, I especially love that tip of of using that perspective and and thinking how you're going to use that data um, instead of seeing it as you know an, an administrative task um, of of using an an instrument, seeing it as a way that you're going to collect more information on your client and it's going to inform your care of that client. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we're almost to the conclusion of our interview now. Um, I wanted to ask if either of you had 
another um, success story or example of, of using patient-reported outcome measures in practice. Um, and if you'd like to share any positive experiences that led to, to good outcomes. Sure. I mean, one of the uh, things that we, we're trying, uh, we have a student-run uh, uh, clinic uh, called, called the CARES uh, uh, Therapy Clinic, Rehabilitation Therapy Clinic um, at uh, Medical University of South Carolina. This is a student-run clinic. It's been going on for, for, for many years, and it's, and, and it's truly student-run. Um, uh, uh, our, faculty, uh, our faculty just advise, advises the students in terms of um, giving them direction, giving them a lot of direction, but it is a, a, a fully run student clinic. And we um, have moved to uh, using um, a number of promise measures. Um, we have the, the um, availability of using um, of access to uh, REDCap. So like I said, the, um, the instruments, and as Broca said, um, both in terms of English and um, uh, you know, Spanish uh, versions of the uh, um, instruments that exist that have uh, programmed it so that um, the uh, instruments are uh, on iPads uh, there as the, the, um, uh, the clients come in for uh, therapy, uh, they're handed an iPad. Um, the, um, the therapist, um, uh, student therapist handing them to the iPad selects the uh, assessments that they're uh, assigned to take. They, they um, uh, fill out those um, assessments on the, uh, the, the client, uh, fills out those assessments that data goes into goes directly into a database, um, a large database, um, collecting the data continually on our uh, our clients. And uh, this has been a big um, a, a big move for us because all of our data collection was in on paper format. And so when it was on paper format, we would get the paper formats that would be scanned into our electronic medical record. Um, then students would have to um, enter that data into Excel spreadsheets. So we've skipped the whole, um, actually even the, um, you know, the data collection uh, in terms of just handing the iPads to clients. That data goes immediately into our, you know, into our database. That now then it then has been used for um, um, uh, student research, um, uh, student uh, research projects, um, and actually will be eventually be used to sort of look at the um, the overall success of that clinic in terms of. You know, our clients showing improvements overall um, with this therapy. That's a wonderful example. Thank you, Craig. I think student-run clinics are are so interesting, and it sounds like uh, there's some really good work being done there. I did just have one more question, um, and that's our Golden Nugget segment, which you both are familiar with as recurring guests. Um, but if you could ask practitioners to do just one thing, what would it be? Well, I'll start. Uh, I think simply... Uh, uh, listen to a podcast like this and uh, go to the uh, uh, go to the promise um, the healthcare measures uh, website and start um, uh, seeing what's available to them. I would just add to that um, really also same thing. just really try it out. I think I think there's some biases related to patient reported outcome measures. Some clinicians feel that they're really just research tools or they're really either too like subjective in some ways and not really getting out what it is we're trying to capture. And I think, you know, I think performance-based assessments are, are absolutely vital for particular conditions and particular domains that we're trying to assess. But I think patient-reported measures really give us insights into how patients perceive their condition and their health status. And I think that's really, really, really important and extremely clinically relevant. So, you know, just 
try it out. Um, keep that open mind. And I would just add one additional resource, which I don't think we've mentioned until now, is the Promise Health Organization. So besides for healthmeasures.net, which again has all the, um, you can do the search and view for the downloadable measures. And there's a ton of really great resources about Promise development and, and applications, et cetera. The Promise Health Organization um, is a separate organization which provides like educational training related to um, Promise. And there's a really engaged group of not just researchers, but also clinicians who are involved with some of those educational opportunities. So I would um, suggest that you perhaps take a look at that as well. And I would just say for a disclaimer, I am a member of the education division or education committee of the Promise Health Organization, but I'm not financially affiliated. Um, with them in any way. So again, just an additional resource if you really want to learn more about Promise and how some of those measures can be used. Absolutely. Well, thank you both again so much for your time and for sharing all this knowledge and expertise. Um, I know I'm feeling encouraged and and seeing how Promise and, and patient-reported outcome measures can be um, empowering to practitioners and to um, everyone we work with. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Of course. Thanks for listening to Everyday Evidence. Tune in next time for more evidence-based practice insights and applications.